Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in the same room as our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi. Our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello, we're all here. What a day, guys. Yeah, we're we, all a little hungover. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about <laughs> Sorry. I just blew up our spot. Um, we're all incredibly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh, very in tune with award season. The as reason usual. I sound terrible has nothing to do with alcohol. Yeah, well, last week we mentioned that you were going to talk about your Marvel cover story, which came out, and uh, you couldn't literally had no voice to talk literally about it. I could not talk. And this is like, this is the best I've sounded in a long time, so deal with it. You sound fantastic. So we will talk later about the Marvel cover story, but there are a ton of awards things that are going on this week. And as we record this about 10 minutes ago, the Critics' Choice Awards nominations came out, which I think are maybe an interesting place to start because they kind of summarize like what's been going on for the last week. We've had a good handful and it's only nominations, so we don't have any winners. It's not like a new critical favorite. But you've got nominations for The Big Sick, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, The Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Which, I don't know, like Richard, to me, that feels like a pretty good summary of like what we are still talking about. Like, that's a pretty yeah. good roundup. No, I think so. I mean, I think that Three Billboards is having a little bit of a... of a, It was like a real front runner just a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and has sort of taken a hit as people kind of reassess it or, 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 or critics who... Who kind of waited or have weighed in and negatively? Yeah, but I think it's still it's still hanging on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so The Shape of Water got the most nominations from mm-hmm. the awards, but I think as with the Oscars, I think that speaks a lot to the technical aspects of it. The Critics' Choice Award nominations do production design and editing and costume design and all of these things where something really technically challenging like Shape of Water would pop up in there. Yeah, yeah, and I think also um, Joanna, we were talking to uh, some of our. West Coast colleagues last night at our little holiday party and an interesting theory emerged that you had about the shape of water and, and where it's it's kind of landing in the in the season. Well, it just it over the weekend, the you know, the L.A. film critics released their their winners and shape of water just sort of really surged in that in that group. And, yeah, we were talking to some of our L.A. colleagues and they had heard from Academy voters in L.A. Everyone in L.A. seems really high on shape of water and doesn't seem to be all that interested in the post, whereas people in New York were like Gaga for the post and don't really seem to care about Shape of Water. So I could not tell you 
Well, like I understand the post thing. We were talking about this a little bit last night, Richard, that the post is a very like East Coast, old world media sort of mm-hmm. story. And it makes sense that LA is like not as enamored of it as New York yeah. might be. But why Shape of Water is hitting with LA so hard? I don't know if like Guillermo has a lot of uh, stock in the town or I don't, I don't know. What I it think is. people in LA are really used to sleeping with monsters. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> I mean, there, the shape of water, it, the much, the film is set literally above an old movie house. There's like a scene where they transform themselves into like a Fred Astaire and Rogers musical. Like it, if you, if the theory goes that Hollywood is obsessed with movies about movies, oh. I feel like that's where shape of it's water is. the really La La Land. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, and I've been avoiding like reading about it because I kind of wanted to be yeah. delighted. I didn't surprise, so thank you for ruining that for me. No, um, but I didn't know. I didn't know that aspect. That makes so much sense. If it's a, if it's quasi a movie about making movies and in, in a stretching way, then that makes sense why LA would be enamored with it, right? Yeah, and people in the entertainment business kind of hate the press. You know what I mean? Like they kind of like the press. Yes, we have to like stand up with them shoulder to shoulder against like you know evil Republicans or whatever. Yeah, um, or Trump, I guess. But the press is such a pain in the neck to, to you know, actual entertainers. So I think, like, there's probably a limit to how, like, gung-ho they want to get about a press a story glorifying. Basically, yeah. each of us just wants to glorify ourselves and yeah. not the other. Right. That's yeah. all I said. <laughs> New, York, New York, like, critics are like, this is about the press. It's about us. And the yeah. L.A. Academy voters are like, this is about movies and sleeping with monsters. This is yeah. about us. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. And it's – well, two things I want to say about the Post. First of all, I wanted to correct the record. Mike, Mike – uh, Asked me two weeks ago when I was on, I was like, oh, we were so blah on the, on the post trailer. And Mike was like, really? I went back and listened. Mike was right. I was wrong. But <laughs> I just wanted to say that to his face. But it's also interesting because we just felt like, oh, well, this is it. Here comes the post and it's over. And now we're back again in like questionable territory. It, yeah. Cause each, each kind of set of awards that comes out, there's been a lot of call me by your name, mm-hmm. uh, some good get out news in the past week. Mm-hmm. A lot of Ladybird. Yeah. Ladybird. Will, um, Willem Dafoe feels like, Nailed down. Yes. Yeah, I think you wrote after the last Mm -hmm. awards came out that Willem Dafoe is maybe the only actual, like, clear, solid front runner. Like, I think that and Coco. Yeah, sure. Coco and animated <laughs> Pixar runs the table and animated again. But like in supporting actress, it feels like it's Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf, and you know, best actress, it feels like it's Saoirse. I think Janney's falling off. All right, yeah. yeah. Janney hasn't yeah. won. It's been Laurie Metcalf, and then Tiffany Haddish is the only thing that ruined. Ruined. I mean, I'm really glad that <laughs> Tiffany Haddish got that got that award from uh, an August body, but. Um, that that sort of broke Laurie Metcalf's streak, but otherwise yeah, Laurie Metcalf is sort of the front runner. But she's not; it's not as cemented, I think, as Willem Dafoe. And there's it, just all you these- know in the opposite spirit of what you just did, which is generously tell me that I was right. I am going to gloat that I was right <laughs> in in a tweet thread with Richard mm. about Laurie Metcalf versus Allison Janney, when yes. everybody was saying that Allison Janney had it locked. No, and I and I was like squeaking, "What about Laurie Metcalf?" Mm-hmm. Anyway, now I'm no, you're right, grandly <laughs> right. gloating. Yeah, I'm I'm not supposed to talk about the vote much and I, i'll be kind of vague about it but you know we voted for new york film critic circle while i was on vacation last week and i was you know in the room for those many hours that we were doing it and H- tiffany haddish won which was really exciting and i think was partly the result of a sort of concerted pre-effort conspiracy between the younger members of the group to, to make that happen and i'm really glad it did but metcalf was there, you know close and mm-hmm. and and janny i think maybe kind of split the vote for her and that's maybe why haddish was able to win but like there was just a marketable uh, more more of a of a presence for Metcalf than there was for Janet. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think the movie has more traction 
you know, yeah, a, a, a yeah. ladybird has people more love Itania, but a lot of yes. people hate it. So yeah. and right. the vast no one hates people, ladybird. No, yeah, right. yeah. Even people who are more lukewarm on ladybird, I think you know it's okay to say, Richard, you are more lukewarm on. Lady I just Bird. don't think women should direct movies. I know, so. I know. It's, <laughs> you know. You've made this very clear. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, I, but I think also Metcalf like lauded theater actress yeah she like, just won a Tony Emmy's galore you know whatever like she you know and Janie's the same in mm-hmm. a way but I think Metcalf for whatever reason just has that kind of more of the the imprimatur of like a you know a deserving win and I, and I think that's the narrative around Willem Dafoe as well is that like he's been nominated twice he's never won he's been in I think it's like 80 plus movies Julie did a great you know in conversation with him mm-hmm. Julie Miller did that's on our website you know so just like when you look at Willem Dafoe you're like that guy doesn't have an Oscar I should have yeah. an Oscar. Yeah. Give it to him. You know, I mean, I like the Florida Project, but above and beyond that, I think even if voters don't watch the Florida Project, they would vote for Willem Dafoe and his like record alone. The the question I have for you guys is what I feel like a trend in the in like becoming part of this podcast, obsessively watching critics, you know, nominate or award things and trying to predict this. The supporting categories seem to be the ones that get firmed up. Early, this was the narrative around like Patricia Arquette, Mahershala Jake Ali, Simmons, Mahershala mm-hmm. Ali. Like, I don't know if you and guys, Hathaway. yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about like why supporting seems to be the one that That's a good you question. know they can like drill down on. Yeah, it's especially surprising to me that Defoe becomes that because this has been all, all of these like beloved character actors. You've got Richard Jenkins in Shape of Water, which is a movie people clearly love. Michael Stuhlbarg and Call Me by Your Name, like all these people who have the same levels of affection, it seems. But somehow, Willem Defoe has become. I think it, it helps that Willem Defoe kind of stands for the Florida Project, and I think that's it worked, exactly right. And, and this yeah. was Mahershala Ali last year too. I think everyone knew that he could be a win for Moonlight and was excited about that, not knowing that Moonlight would win Best Picture because no one really expected that. No, La La Land won. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Thank you, Faye Dunaway. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, honestly, sometimes I forget which one. Like, I get confused still. Anyway. So, yeah, I think everyone wants to, like, know that they're going to give Florida Project something and call me by your name. I mean, we can talk about that Timothy Chalamet has won two Best Actor prizes now. Like, that seems really much more of a threat. I know. Than, it's yeah. crazy. So, yeah, the, the Defoe can be, like, a clear stand-up for Florida Project, which is a movie clearly a lot of people love. Yeah. And I also think, you know, we, we talked, I think we talked on this podcast, or maybe I just had a conversation in my head, but, like, we've talked about uh, Sam Rockwell's stock sort of going down as the three billboard stock generally goes down. Um, and I think, you know, Richard and I were talking about this last night, the narrative around that character in that film, it like almost yeah. has less to do with his performance as it does people not wanting to award maybe a, a, a redeemed racist, racist cop, cop. Yeah. Yeah. versus Willem Dafoe, who's like, there's that scene, right, where he's protecting little girls from sexual predator. And, you know, yeah. that's like, that's a narrative we want to endorse. So, you know, yeah. it's, being part of this podcast really has made me realize like the larger narratives that have nothing to do with performance that really drive all of this. Yeah. And I think Florida Project is a movie that people want to award. Maybe they feel a little skittish about giving it best picture because it's so small and it doesn't have any celebrities in it except for Willem Dafoe. Um, you know, New York Film Critics Circle, he, uh, Sean Baker won best director, which was kind of a surprise. Um, but otherwise, like, I feel like, yeah, you're right, Katie, that like, as a neat representation of a movie that people love, right. an actor who's deserving has worked in 80 films or whatever. Like, th- there you go. That's kind of like, that's, that's yeah. a no brainer. Yeah. Know? And I, I mean, I, I'm fine with it. I've been like yeah. something, I think it's a supporting actor is a great category this year, but like, I don't think anyone's going to say Defoe is a no. not a deserving yeah. winner there. And I think it's interesting. You brought up Chalamet is that like, and, and I'm guilty of this as, and as much as anyone else, like from Telluride on being like, Oh, Gary Oldman, that's going to mm-hmm. happen. Like it's, right. it's time. And now it's like, well, well, where's where? When does that start happening? Yeah. And it hasn't right. happened yet. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, critics groups tend to kind of diverge from the Academy narrative uh, on on certain things. So, so it doesn't mean that like Oldman isn't 
a lock, you know, but it's just, it's interesting that he did that, that relentless march towards the, the podium in March yeah. hasn't started yet. Yeah. 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 And, and that might be another case where, it's, as you say, Timothy Chalamet could stand for Call Me By Your Name if it doesn't land yeah. those larger awards. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it, it's almost the stakes are less high on supporting so that you can kind of like grab the top spot and hold it. Whereas with something like Gary Oldman, he might have just peaked too early, you know, right. and and there's more of an effort by critics to say, wait a minute, like, we're not just going to follow suit here. Like, mm-hmm. um, we're going to really put some thought into this. And is that really the best performance? Whereas maybe with supporting, I don't know. I mean, you could maybe you, Katie and Richard, you could shed light on on voting processes with critics. But I wonder if there's a little bit more like, OK, we can check the box for supporting versus lead. I think you're right. Yeah, it, it the, the stakes are lower. It doesn't feel as charged. It you can just kind of as comfortably be like, yeah, that, that's a nice nice little pat on the head award for you. Yes. Whereas we're gonna we're gonna talk about the big guys later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth noting like the remarkably different voting processes for all of these. Like the National Board of Review, they just submit ballots in separate rooms. New York Film Critics in L.A., you're all in the room. You were there together. You were like looking in the eye of the person who's voting for James Franco for the Disaster Artist, and you're like, well, if that person voted for him, maybe I should. No, no. New York is anonymous. Oh, oh, you it's do the ballot. It's a written ballot. But, it, the, yeah. but you can like see like what happens in the first round. And, and you can tell like, who's you, voting for And I mean, you can like, tell like when there's a wave of support in the first round oh, that you vote again time. and you're like, okay, well, all these people are in for Tiffany Haddish. Maybe I can vote for Tiffany It makes Haddish. such a difference to be in yeah. the room. Yeah. And so, yeah. and then for the Critics' Choice Awards, you're just submitting your own ballot. So these nominations are just like representing a wide swath. And then you vote online. So I can see something like Gary Oldman winning with the Critics' Choice Awards because it's like everyone, there's not like that sense of a room swaying each other. And that's how the Oscars right. are voted on. That's how the SAG Awards. Like yeah. when you get into these larger voting bodies, I think some more of those like conventional narrative thing can start happening which is what to me is interesting when you get you know Lafka and New York film critics like they do really interesting things and then maybe the rest of the season goes in a different direction but I think it's it's interesting to like start with some like outliers and then maybe go yeah, more it, conventional it's in the nature of critics to overthink and to and to <laughs> say like with all due respect you know and and, and to say kind of like wait a minute I feel like we should we have a responsibility to elevate X whereas I think it's in the nature of academy voters to be like no, that this is the yeah. this, this is, is the, the one, thing. and yeah. and and let's yeah. not forget that the largest group are actors, right? Yeah. So whereas you know, I think they probably have a little bit more of a technical point of view on the performance, or, or or like an empathetic, like how hard was this performance, which I do think helps Gary Oldman, and a kind of like, man, if I were Gary Oldman, I'd sure want my career Oscar by then. Um, and a lot more people yeah. know him. And they know nobody knows yeah. Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. He's twenty one mm-hmm. years old, yeah. right? You know, yeah, and, and they probably like, envy and resent yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and um, I don't. You guys might know stats to back this up for me, but like I know that Timothy Chalamet is like one of the youngest. Yeah, he'll be like of, the third youngest uh, best actor. Nominee but there's ever. definitely like a narrative right where young women can win a best mm-hmm. actress award, but young men don't often do that. I still right? have a really yes. hard time seeing him winning best actor. Right. That just yeah. like it could definitely happen. I mean, I think we've all learned that we can't predict these things as well as we might have thought we could. But it, I mean, you got Tom Hanks in there who won the NBR award, who's really great in the post and like hasn't been nominated for best actor in like 16 years. You've got still got Gary Oldman. There's a lot of competition in there. James Franco's making a run at it. Like you can see Chalmay and Frank go kind of like splitting the hip young vote there's a lot of ways that can play out well and just the brutal rule of thumb still despite all the efforts of the academy is that it's older men and they vote for the guy they want to be and the woman they want to sleep with like uh, you know yeah. that's that's yeah. the rule of thumb until further notice that's how no, this I works mean, it's true <laughs> well i you know we, you, you mentioned the post and we can now talk about it the embargo is yeah. up um and i think the, the thing about that movie i don't think that hanks is really the player there i think streep is no, i think yeah. Hanks yeah. could definitely get nominated though yeah no i think so too i mean people like although we've talked about tom hanks has he had keeps, trouble getting nominated lately for bridge of spies and for captain phillips yeah but the post is 
actually really good. And I, so I think that the combination of, you know, the way that we imagine Academy voters, who knows if this is actually true, but we've, we've kind of crafted this narrative over the past two years (laughs) of, of the stack of screeners on the coffee table. All right, time to like watch streaming something. Streaming through the window. Like, yeah, yeah that, that just windows. Sunday afternoon, like slanted light of Los Angeles <laughs> that I hate so much. You have, you know, some esoteric gay movie in Italy. You have a weird monster thing from the guy who's been kind of spotty. Or you have a Steven Spielberg movie with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. I think that's the one you're going to put in your DVD player yeah. and, and watch. And it, it, I watched it on screener and you get to see it in theaters and it plays really well on a screener. Oh, well, yes. that, yeah, and it's engaging. It's smart. It's well acted. It's timely. I think that... Even though that movie has had a, a little bit of trouble getting traction in these early critics things, I think part of that is just critics being like, nah, that's so, that's so expected. We want to be different, you know? Yes. Whereas the, like you said, Mike, the Academy doesn't give a shit about that, really. I mean, they, they right. do time from here and there, but like, but this is a big, solid Oscar movie that actually, in a weird way, I kind of argue in, in my review, it deserves that Oscar bait status or yeah. it earns it. Well, yeah. and so we talked about this last week, but I, I do think that, you know, the question will end up being, are Academy voters more upset about Trump and want to stand up with the press against Trump? Or are they upset that their industry is being ripped apart by sexual harassment articles? Right, right. <laughs> and are and they resenting, the are they resenting right. the, the press? <laughs> the literal sex You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and by the way, it's, it's easy to then kind of say, and look at the press too, is also being ripped apart by sexual. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So I just don't know like how toxic – but what, which toxic situation is going to yeah. win? But we, what what the post has in its favor is that it's it is a story about the press going up against a autocratic presidential administration. But it's also about women in the workplace. Yes, and it's also about, a feminist you know, uh, story and, in and a sense. So yeah. having those two kind of things dovetail is is I think makes it pretty strong and yeah, i mean i, I think you put it out in your review that like even if you like went and being like oh god meryl streep again like meryl streep has made fun of this idea that like she just wins everything and then she's really good in it like she gives yeah, this great. like level of performance that you're like oh yeah that's what she can do i'm still planning my flag on sersha Sersha is, yeah. is my horse on this race. I mean, I think it's an interesting competition between the two of them because I think we all thought Sersha was like so much of a dark horse that we wanted to root for. And then she's winning critics prizes. And no, like, if Laurie Metcalf wins best supporting, then maybe they won't give it to both women. From Lady Bird. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to kind of game that out because when people are filling out their winners, like they are by themselves filling out their ballot. Like it's hard to kind of think along those lines. I like the idea of us moving towards a world, and maybe this has been historically true, where each category just represents, and especially this year when we can't like decide what the film is, each category represents like, oh, here's the Florida Project, mm-hmm. here's Call Me by Your Name, here's Lady Bird, like they all get a, a big award if it's not the big award. Well, it it still mm-hmm. feels like a, a very open race with a lot of contenders compared to previous years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, for the, for the Shape of Water to bounce back today to me is surprising. I'm yeah, like, wow, we're gonna keep yeah. that in mind too. Yeah, well, and by the way, this is Dunkirk still rolling still and Get Out is still rolling. But get out yet, which made yeah. like t- it made like the Kaiju to Cinema and Sight and Sound poll of like the ten best films in the world, which you know those are like super super snobby list. And the fact yes. that Get Out is on there, that's interesting. Yeah, if, if the mm-hmm. French like you, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know. yeah. No, I think Get Out. I think just yesterday kind of surged to the top of the Gold Derby screenplay odds mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think that's its best shot. 
you know, I think Jordan Peele's definitely getting a Best Director nomination at this point. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, and that one, that one also, you know, is it, it, it like the Post? It has it has dual benefits, which is one, it's really well made, and two, it has this political tenor to it. So, yes. so that that maybe maybe the, that's the the strategy this year, or and and that's where I feel like possibly, you know, something like Shape of Water, which does have a political element to it, sort of maybe suffers because it doesn't quite feel as timely and maybe timely is what we're, we're kind of after. I don't the, know. Yeah. The shape of water win that made me really sit up and day, pay attention was uh, the, for the Lafka over the weekend, they gave it best cinematography over and Roger Deakins was a runner up for Blade Runner. And yeah. Like I know that Blade Runner has sort of fallen out of the conversation, but it, there was this whole thing of like, this is Roger Deakins year again, finally. And, uh, and then I was like, Shape of Water won over, and like, they named Deacons as a runner up. And, I, and then like, you know, won Best Picture, Sally Hawkins, Best Director, like, Lafka just gave yeah. it all to Shape of Water. It was crazy. So if Roger yeah. Deakins doesn't win, I'm going to, I'm going to feel sad. Well, at New York Film Critics, uh, uh, the, the cinematographer for Mudbound won. Yeah. yeah and and she was the first woman to ever Although win. Although that, and like, you don't have to like give secrets from in the room. That did feel like sticking a finger in the eye of Netflix to give, uh, give the cinematography award to a film that most people will view on Netflix because Netflix put Mudbound in like 15 theaters and was yeah. like, this is great. We've <laughs> done our job. No comment. <laughs> I mean, Mudbound is like, it's got some Critics' Choice Awards yeah. nominations. Like, yeah. I don't like it's hard. I mean, it would be amazing if D. Reese could get a Best Director nomination when you have like you know Greta Gerwig's in the running having two women nominated for best director yeah. that would be amazing I mean it's it still feels to me like you've got The Post and Dunkirk are kind of like standing as the studio movies and you've got Lady Bird and the Florida Project and Call Me By Your Name and Get Out and kind of this like critical darling pack I have a hard time seeing maybe Get Out could break out from that but the others like they all seem kind of like they're consuming each other in a way. right and you but, didn't even mention Shape of Water yeah, Shape of Water, I think, is kind of on its own because it's got all this technical stuff to it. Like, right. you can see okay. Shape of Water, like, leading, I think either Shape of Water or Dunkirk winds up getting the most nominations because they've got all the technical categories. They got, like, editing right. and visual effects and stuff like that. So, like, that could give, that gives it an edge in a different way where, like, more people are going to be considering it from different angles. Yeah. So, what's, like, what's so fun about this podcast is, like, we were talking this summer, we're like, oh, nothing's going to touch Dunkirk. I know. It's going. I know. And now the post is sort of swallowed up its like prestige best picture area and shape of water is encroaching on its technical awards. So yeah. mm-hmm. what if Dunkirk just walks away with nothing? Yeah. There's an, and there's another movie that we can now talk about because yes. the embargo's up the morning this is going, going to be posted is Phantom Thread, yeah. the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which has won a couple things here and there. Uh, New York film critics gave it best screenplay. Leslie Manville is very much now in the, in the kind of supporting actress hunt, even if, you know, she's probably not going to win, but she could get nominated. And that's another really great movie. And it's also a something of a bounce back for Paul Thomas Anderson, who has made previous two kind of impenetrable esoteric movies mm-hmm. in the master and inherent vice and this could maybe be his you know re-entry into the sort of awards conversation since you know 10 years after there will be blood mm-hmm. and deserving and daniel day lewis you know talking about meryl streep arriving with a late late in the season yeah. spoiler daniel day lewis is in supposedly his last movie is great in it well so. i'm gonna say that I thought that this was impenetrable and esoteric. <laughs> oh, okay. I also yeah. love the master, so yeah. I also love the you master. can't argue about taste. But I don't know. This is a this is like this movie is very weird. I'm sure that Daniel Day Lewis will be will be nominated, yeah. but um I didn't get it. 
Well, so <laughs> I, so I think you know the, when I the screening I went to was at the Directors Guild Theater uh, on Fifty Seventh Street in Manhattan, and uh, so it was kind of a, a sort of in the know crowd. Yeah, uh, on a Sunday evening post Thanksgiving, and there was a Q and A with Anderson and Daniel Day Lewis and Leslie Manville and Vicky Creeps, uh, best name of the year, by the way, Vicky <laughs> Creeps. And doesn't she look like a young Meryl Streep? It's kind she kind of she does. Really yeah. Like yeah. yeah, um, she she's got a gummer <laughs> gummer quality better. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson told the story about where, the origin of the movie, which was that he was really sick without spoiling anything, but like he was really sick. And Maya Rudolph, his wife was just like really kind to him and just like taking care of him. And then when he, the next day he was feeling better and all of a sudden they were kind of like in a fight. Yeah. And he was like, he, so he's like, I have an idea for a movie called day Lewis. And was like, let's do this. So I think that the, in that movie, if I were Maya Rudolph and I watched that movie, which is kind of this weird twisted romantic comedy kind of in the end, I would feel really like happy and and sort of seen and and like be like oh we we are you know we may fight we may have a weird marriage but like in the end it works despite itself in the same way that if i were rachel vice or jennifer lawrence and watch mother Mother, i'd be like holy shit (laughs) like this is horrible like both are kind of male auteurs making movies about how they interact with women in their lives yeah Yeah, but but you thought that it was i thought it was like a horrifying self-portrait if it's a self-portrait i found it deeply disturbing and i was like not in the mood to laugh at the i thought it was of, like a misanthropic mean misogynistic man person. but sweet in the end because like i feel like they find a place of parody <laughs> and i feel like that vicky creeps's character has agency and and in the end he sort of agrees to her stuff as much as she agrees to his it sounds and- like secretary yeah, maybe it is a little like secretary. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, anyway. haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but my my thought watching the trailer, and I like, you know, I liked The Master and, and other things, but um, is that it reads as chilly. Does it feel chilly watching the whole thing? At times, you? in the beginning, and yeah. then I think it just warms the as it goes. I think it's, yeah, we I was really ta- taken by it. We were talking about, I think, when Carol came out, like one of the reasons maybe that Carol didn't penetrating the word season was a chilliness about it that that's like a hard thing to get around that the post is like inspiring this warmth and the phantom thread might not yeah i don't think that i don't think that phantom thread is a contender in like best picture maybe but i think on a screenplay or mm-hmm. cinematography or mm-hmm. maybe a, a, an acting thing here or there um, so are we underestimating daniel day lewis as a threat to just kind of sweep in and win his third i Oscar? think the i think the one thing about his chances for this movie while he's wonderful in it it's it's one of his quieter mm-hmm. roles. You know, it, the, the past two times he's won, it's been Daniel Plainview, who was this mm-hmm. like avatar of American, you know, rapacious greed or whatever. We have Lincoln, who's who? Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he played uh, Lincoln Chafee, the oh. former <laughs> presidential candidate. It's a really interesting movie. Uh, this is not the, those two things. I mean, yeah. so I think that, I think that it's, it, it's, it, it, I feel like this would be like the sort of respectful nod. Like he'll get the nomination. I'll be like, you know, mm-hmm. if this is you going out, you went out well. Yeah. Sir. You don't not then, nominate Daniel Day Lewis if he says he's going to quit acting. Right, right. right. But I do, I do think people might resent the whole, like, I'm going to quit acting thing either to be right. like, what do you mean you're going to quit acting? Right. Like, like who? I don't know. Like, you don't a, walk away from us. Yeah, <laughs> a that and b. I think people are. I'm always worried. It's like a bit of a stunt. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't feel like a, right. like I don't think he's a stunt kind of guy. It's not a. Stunt. It just feels like why announce it? Like Soderbergh too. It's just like why say it when right. when like I don't care that it's not sticking, but like just don't say it in the first yeah. place. My yeah. feeling is it's going to be really great and also kind of annoying when he 
does another movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was when, <laughs> when Cher would go back on tour. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, speaking of stunts, the fact that it looks like James Franco is going to get an Oscar nomination, like that still kind of blows my mind, given it's that he fun. like ruined the Oscars single-handedly. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I were them, I might have trouble forgiving him for it. But he, I mean, he keeps winning critics' prizes or getting nominated. And I think he's really great in The Disaster. He's great. Artist. And, like, and it's, it's just, a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's campaigning. I mean, like, yeah. this is something we need to, well, we will talk about, but like the actors who campaign versus the ones who don't. Like, we were talking last night, Richard, about Frances McDormand is not an actress who's going to campaign. Yeah. She, so as much as her, like, chances seem to be taking a hit, she's not going to do anything to go out there and, like, turn that right. narrative around. Yeah. That's just not who she is. Daniel Day Lewis has never campaigned a day in his life, probably. Right. So, Whereas Sir Sharona yeah. just hosted SNL exactly. and you know, yeah. like oh, she's yeah. she's on the on the beat. And I think Gary Oldman also famously like doesn't really want anything to do with the process. I think it it seemed clear that he was going to be campaigning more this year as part of this, but you know that hasn't like the, that part of the circuit hasn't really started yet. Well yeah I mean, and, you know we saw Gary Oldman at, at TIFF. He mm-hmm. went and do dutifully he did, did he the, red us carpet. On the red carpet. He was, yeah. he was mildly charming. Yeah. And I remember for um during Lincoln, you know, I remember like Dana Dulles would like show up to the critics awards, you know, the Gotham Awards or whatever it was yeah. and give a little speech. Like it's not like but they're not gonna they're not gonna do the full Right. They're not gonna show like, up to the opening of an envelope. They're, they're, yeah, they're not gonna follow the Peggy Siegel drum march. Yeah, or no, drum beat. Right, rather. Exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. And lunch with every single yeah. Academy member right. that they that dig seems up. Seems unlikely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no Saoirse Ronan, who is like willing to do that and is young and like probably has more energy for all of it. Like she is incredibly charming and she'll show up at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards, give a really charming speech just like she did last year for Brooklyn. And like that year she wasn't really a front runner, but this year kind of feels like that could make her one. I and, would love to think that, that the female directors this year have an edge because Dee Reese and Greta Gerwig are both incredibly yeah. charming, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. wonderful people to I hang mean, out with and talk to. This year's director crowd, like I'm looking at Gold Derby right now, you've got like Guillermo del Toro who can tell the hell out of a story. You've got Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan who has this kind of like chilly English charm to him. Like I think everyone likes to be around him. Luca Guadagnino tells a, like tells a good anecdote. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of good people. And you've got, Steven Spielberg's yeah. in there. And you've got two actors. You've got Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Yeah. yeah. Who can just perform in that role, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, wait, yeah. J- they, that seems like a good segue to talk about our awards <gasps> issue that's out this Let's week. Let's do it. Hey everybody, I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right, get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc., copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. 
This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. They have everything from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There is always something new to discover because with MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore incredible movies streaming anytime, anywhere. Right now, they have a film collection for performers we love, and they are highlighting one of this year's Oscar frontrunners, Lily Gladstone. So I am here with David Canfield to talk about how much we love Lily Gladstone, and especially her film that is now on movie, Certain Women. David, fond memories there. Fond memories. What an introduction. None of us knew who she was before that film, um, but it's quite a thing to be in a Kelly Reichardt film with Michelle Williams, Kristen Stewart, and Laura Dern and completely steal it. And uh, now we're talking about it to this day. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Little Goldmen. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Little Goldmen for a whole month of great cinema for free. Mubi.com slash Little Gold Men. Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig are on the cover of this award special. It's not going to be in mailboxes. Like, you only get it if you're an Academy voter, right, Mike? That's right. An Academy uh, voter or a member of um, one of the big guilds. Yeah. But uh, so. all the stories are online. They're all going, yes. including the, the photo shoot of Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig and the cover story that Rebecca They're wonderful wrote. photos. Gorgeous. Oh, my yeah. God. Those yeah. Like, yeah, like, the, the cover is really great. And yeah. uh, Hillary Fitzgibbons did the lettering herself, which um, she's she was the designer of the whole issue. She's awesome. Which kind of reminded me of the Ladybird credits. Like, remember how those like those very carefully hand lettered credits? Yes. And, and Call Me By Your Name. Like, they're mm-hmm. very, it's a good time for hand lettering. Well, you know, and, and, and I. I want to say something cool that happened, uh, if I can, uh, when we were, I think I'm allowed to say this, when we were trying to figure out which uh, image to put on the cover, there were a few more conventional options, and Graydon was looking at them, and he was like, we don't have, we don't have to sell this on newsstands, right? And we said, uh, no. And he said, let's pick this one. Like, if you, ha- you have an opportunity to do something cool, do something different, yeah. let's, let's do something different. And so then we, that's when we had the idea to add the lettering to it. So it's, it's really, it, it, I'm really proud of the whole team that put it together. Nicole Sperling has a big story that's been online for a couple weeks now about the Netflix war. But anyone who listens to this podcast, I think, would be interested mm-hmm. in reading that story, if you haven't already, about the war between the traditional theatrical distributors and studios and Netflix and how they're kind of using the Oscar as a cudgel yeah. uh, to fight. And then, and then, Katie, your piece just went up yesterday about uh, Harvey Weinstein and how that's changing mm-hmm. award season. And Richard's got great previews of everything. And Joanna, meanwhile, <laughs> is not in this issue only because, because. she wrote... The dang cover story for the uh, what? Which what is it? The holiday issue we call mm-hmm. it. The, yeah. the and what is this little Marvel indie studio? Marvel? Yeah, Marvel. It's like an A twenty four kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like a scrappy little startup. Yeah, no, I, I got to write about the last ten years of Marvel Studios. I was trying to figure out like how do I make this relevant to an award season podcast, and I will share this anecdote. Uh, when I was asking Kevin, Fe- I talked to Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, about sort of this unprecedented success that they've had uh, and building this franchise where all these other studios are floundering trying to do so. And I asked him about Rotten Tomatoes because this is something that like the DC, the rival DC franchise is like, oh, down with Rotten Tomatoes, they're ruining movies. And Their fans like, are obsessed with it. Yeah, and I was like, do you care about Rotten Tomatoes? And he was like, we love Rotten Tomatoes. Obviously, they get good scores. But he was like, they, he's like, we're not going to win any awards ever for anything. But they send us over these little Lucite fresh placards when you get a movie that's fresh, like Rotten Tomatoes sends you a little placard that says your movie was rated fresh on our, on our website. He's like, we have them all lined up. 
I demand to see them as soon as they come in. He's like, I care a lot about them. They're the wow. only awards we're ever going to win. I was like, okay. That's fascinating, actually. He, I didn't know they did that. That and the stacks of $100 bills. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but he also, you know, he also was like, in, in that like question that we're grappling with of like, uh, what the audience, the fans love and what the critics love and are they the same? He's like, I think they're just generally the same. Like people like good movies and mm-hmm. he's like, sometimes they don't agree, but for the most part, you know, like it, it aligns. I think so. the, t- the, the somewhat tepid box office for Justice League would kind of bear that out, you know, yeah. like, you know, people are not fine, like enough, like we're, we're not, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. But About they're, they're doing this insane two part Avengers movies thing where, you know, we did this uh, great photo shoot in Atlanta where just you got like, so many people for it's it. It's unbelievable crazy. how many stars that they have yeah. in these films. It's crazy. And so. it's interesting because they are sort of now at this fulcrum crux point where you know the the sort of older members of this avengers team are sort of their contracts are up and their narrative is maybe coming to an end and so the piece is a really good reflection back but also looking forward and and i think and you know like it or not the marvel film industry is a huge part of the economy of 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 what we we talk about so yes. so it's 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 uh, you know it's crucial i think if you want to pay attention to how things are working to to know about what they're doing and so i think that it was good that you were able to shine a light on it Thanks, Richard. I think my favorite subplot of the entire story, and you know, we talked about while you were writing it, is just my mental image of you sitting in Kevin Feige's office and asking him a direct question, and him just like staring back at you, being like, "I'm not telling you anything." Like my brain is a locked box, and I, like you can like practically, he's so nice and he's very smart, obviously, but like you can just see the wheels going, and he's like, "How do I carefully word this answer?" Yeah, because he has like he has the next twenty movies in his head. Yeah. Like there's so many things he could say that could like, and I'm like, "Give me anything," and he's like, "No." Like, he could tip you off on the plot of, like, Ant-Man 4 and, like, that he knows what it's going to be and it's coming out in 15 years. But he'll just, like, smile so genially at you while he does it. He's just, like, (laughs) he looks like everyone's dad. He's wearing, like, a ball cap and jeans. Yeah. And, like, he's just like, no. You Any uh, Robert Downey Jr. story? Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. I was talking about this last night. He and, and a few other people who have interviewed him corroborated this for me. First of all, he likes to keep the set at uh, 68 degrees at all times. They call it the meat locker. <laughs> um, so on every set that he's on, it's at 68 degrees and they're all freezing. And he's when he's speaking to you, it's captivating. He, sp- he spoke to me twice. They're like, he likes to get warmed up. So he's going to speak to you for 15 minutes and then he's going to go away. And then you're going to go talk to him later for much longer. It's like, okay. And he did that also happened. Um, and he was lovely. We and, should do our um, podcast that way. We should do 15 minutes yeah, of banter. And warm up. Go, go to the cafeteria. <laughs> um, Where did he go in the interim? He, fil- he filmed some of this movie. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, he just like go in a closet or something like that. Right. But, um, but he put on the Iron Man suit. He's like super, so engaging and like everything is coming out of his mouth. It's just like you know beautifully worded poetry and i was like oh my god this is amazing and i wrote it all down and i submitted like the quotes to my lovely editor stephanie meta and she was like these don't make any sense content. <laughs> and i was like no they do she's like no just read them <laughs> and pretend you weren't there basking in his presence and i was like oh yeah okay um so like you need the performance from robert to like sell the words that he's using and it like ma- matters and makes sense in the moment he also had put together a fiesta friday celebration for his teammates he's like he's like oh there's a mariachi band here 
And someone was like, Robert hired a mariachi band. He's like, I didn't hire a mariachi band. I just said offhand, it would be nice to have a mariachi band. And like, I'm like, you know that whatever you say offhand, it would be nice to have. <laughs> yeah, there are like four people on set to make <laughs> yeah. sure that that happens. Marvel once, I don't know if this is, it's a common story, known story that Marvel once shipped all of Robert Downey Jr.'s furniture from his LA house to his house on the East Coast so that when he was filming, he could just like furnish that house that he was living in with his LA furniture. <laughs> See, that. that's the type of support that I would like to have. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you we really need to work on that. You really need to get I, it would be to nice <laughs> if people would buy me multiple residences and move my furniture. It would be nice <laughs> if we had a mariachi band <laughs> yeah. here today. That's all. Uh, well, okay, so your Marvel story and a lot of extra stuff, including your extended interview with Kevin Feige and a whole piece about Marvel is a very uh, suddenly controversial piece about Marvel movies being the best television series uh, that I'm sure is going to make a lot of TV critics very happy. Uh, yeah, they love it. It's, uh, they are all online right now, as are all of the, uh, many of the awards extra stories are all going on. So, Oh, and I should mention the Jordan Peele video that really mm-hmm. took off on YouTube. It's really fun. It's like nine minutes of him just reading fan theories about Get Out and basically fact-checking them. Yeah. So if you, if you do nothing else, please watch that video. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review the show and share it with people. It is the time of year to do that. We are all at VanityFair.com where you can find so many of the stories that we just talked about and uh, more writing about award season. And we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men and on our own. I met Katie Rich. Richard. Rylaws. Joanna. Joe wrote this. And Mike. Mike Hogan with a little underscore line <laughs> in the middle. Your existential struggle with this underscore. I know, you're crazy. It's the, the best sub-narrative of this podcast. <laughs> you can change your Twitter handle. No, I already did change it. Yeah, I had an even worse one it. before. <laughs> it was worse. But there's somebody has, the, there's so many Mike Hogan's. It's like, you know. What about like, oh, we can figure something out. Okay. <laughs> Let's workshop this. <laughs> Listeners, yeah, yeah. Please, at- please leave a review on Apple Podcasts yeah. about Mike's what new Mike's, Mike's new yeah. Twitter handle should be. <laughs> this episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for a preview of Mike's response to your suggestions for his new Twitter handle goes to Mike Hogan. I didn't get it.